Welcome, friends. This is Historical AF. I'm Keena. And I'm Ashley. This is Extra AF, the May 2021 edition, where we (laughs) discover some history that was made this month. We look back in history to see what happened this month, and then we read your emails. How was your May? (laughs) It's gonna be May. It's gonna be May. It was... It was a doozy. We uh, <laughs> finished up the semester at work and uh, yeah, and we're still pretending that we're not reeling from having an entire school year in a COVID pandemic. So a panini, if you will. A panini. I can't imagine. It's probably a mixture of a giant ball of stress trying to get it all wrapped up, but the relief finally you could breathe. Yeah. Yeah. How was your May? Pretty good. I actually got to go visit family. So. Yeah. I was vaccinated and double masked and I flew. Waxed, waxed, (laughs) Yeah, I flew out from Austin and I was kind of nervous, but it wasn't too bad. They are packed now, so that's it's full flight. So that kind of sucked, but it was not nearly as scary as I thought it would be. Yeah, but other than that, it's just been uh, applying for jobs and gardening. I know how much some people love me talking about my plants on this podcast, but my garden is beautiful. Everything's growing so lovely, except the lemon tree, but we're not going to talk about that. It's fine. It's fine. Sometimes lemon trees die. Yeah, she got a fungus. I don't know how, but... I mean, somebody gave us that tree, so I'm going to say it was already there. I thought you were going to say someone gave her the fungus. I was like, (laughs) oh my God. Can you believe it's already summer? What the hell? This year has been just insufferably long, but also so fast. I don't understand how it can be both. Yeah. Oh, man. So we want to kick it off. Do you want to go first? Yes. Yeah. Especially because I forgot that I needed my phone, so it's going to die soon. Anyway. (laughs) All right. So like most of my articles, I found this through life science. I'm so sorry that I always end up with a science element, but it's still related. I promise. Never, never apologize for science. Mm -mm. It's It's so good. Okay. So the title of this article is folded in like quotes iron sword found in a Roman soldier's grave was part of a pagan ritual. And the killed sword killed in quotes as well is about 1600 years old. So here's a picture of the sword. I don't know if that will. Oh yeah. 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 So you can see it's actually folded over. Uh Uh-huh. So Archaeologists in Greece have discovered a 1,600-year-old iron sword that was folded in a ritual killing before being interred in the grave of a soldier who served in the Roman Imperial Army. The discovery of the folded sword was astonishing because the soldier was buried in an early church, but folded sword was part of a known pagan ritual, said Project co-researcher Erikos Maniotis a doctoral candidate in the Department of Byzantine Archaeology at Aristotle University at Thessaloniki in Greece. Although this soldier, who was likely a mercenary, may have embraced the Roman way of life and the Christian religion, he hadn't abandoned his roots, Maniotis told Live Science in an email. 
The soldier's burial is the latest finding at the site of a three-aisled Paleo-Christian basilica dating from the 5th century. Ooh, it's fascinating. So the basilica was discovered in 2010 during excavation. Words. During excavation ahead of the construction of a subway track, which prompted researchers to call the ancient building the Centrivani Basilica after the Centrivani metro station. The station is in the northern Greek city of Thessaloniki, which was an important metropolis during Roman times. The basilica was built over an even older place of worship, a 4th century chapel, which might be the oldest Christian church in Thessaloniki, Maniotis said. (sighs) I'm so tired, guys. It's okay. Words are hard, especially words like that. (laughs) Yes, words are very hard for me today. And I highly doubt he folded his underwear. (laughs) So in the 7th century, the church was damaged and only poorly renovated before it was eventually abandoned in the 8th or 9th century. During recent excavations, archaeologists found seven graves that had been sealed inside. Some of the graves contained two deceased individuals but didn't have any artifacts. However, an arch-shaped grave contained the remains of an individual who had been buried with weapons, including a bent spatha, uh, a type of long straight sword from the late Roman period, A.D. 250 to 450. Usually these types of swords were used by the auxiliary cavalry forces of the Roman army, Maniotis said. Thus, we may say that the deceased, taking also into consideration the importance of the burial location, was a high-ranking officer of the Roman army. The archaeologists still have to study the individual. We don't know anything about his profile, age of death, cause of death, possible wounds that he might have from the wars he fought, etc. However, They were intrigued by his folded sword and other weapons, which included a shield boss, the circular center of a shield, and a spearhead. So far, the folded sword is the most revealing feature in the grave. Such findings are extremely rare in an urban landscape, Maniota said. Folded swords are usually excavated in sites in northern Europe, including in places used by the Celts. This custom was also observed in ancient Greece and much later by the Vikings, but it seems that Romans didn't practice it let alone when the new religion, Christianity, dominated due to the fact that this ritual was considered to be pagan. The bent sword is a clue that the soldier was a Romanized Goth or from any other Germanic tribe who served as a mercenary in the Imperial Roman forces, Maniotis wrote in the email, which is also called Fodoratus. The Latin word Fodoratus comes from Fodus, a term describing a treaty of mutual assistance between Rome and another nation. This treaty allowed the Germanic tribes to serve in the Roman army as mercenaries, providing them with money, land, and titles. But sometimes the Fodorati turned against the Romans. Oh. The archaeological team recently found ancient coins at the site, so they plan to use these, as well as the style of the sword's pommel or the knob of the handle, to figure out when this soldier lived. So the soldier's armaments will shed light to the impact that the presence of the community of foreign mercenaries had in the city of Thessaloniki, the second greatest city since the fall of Rome and after Constantinople in the Eastern Roman Empire. And then there's also the discovery of the ancient basilica having revealed other ancient artifacts. Archaeologists led by Melina Pasidou, an associate professor of archaeology at the Aristotle University of Thessaloniki, 
have also excavated the building's beautiful mosaic floor. The mosaic shows a vine with birds on its stalks, including the mythical phoenix with a halo that has 13 rays at its center. Oh, cool. Only seven other depicted birds have survived, but the archaeological team posits that there were originally 12 birds and that the mosaic is likely an, likely an allegorical representation of Christ and the 12 apostles. Okay. In addition, a discovery at the site in 2010 revealed about 3,000 ancient burials in Thessaloniki's Eastern Cemetery, a burial ground that was used from the Hellenistic period about 330 BC until just before late antiquity, AD 600 to 700, according to ancient origins. Wow. Isn't that cool? Yeah, it is. Like the fact that not only have they found this basilica and they're excavating it and have been since 2010, but that they're still making, as of 15 days ago, these new discoveries and finding all these ley lines of foreign mercenaries and it's just so cool. That's so cool. That is so cool. I love some good Byzantine art. And then also tying that into the, the pagans. That's that's like the two coolest things. I know. I'm so like, I can't wait. I'm going to be setting Google alerts so I can hear more about it. And everything. I am so jealous of these people making these discoveries right now. Can I really want to see. Can you imagine how pretty that is? No, I can't. I can't. Oh. I can't stand it. It's so pretty. I love Byzantine art. It it's gorgeous. It, oh, it's so pretty. Although so much gold like and blue. To like my atheistic ass that they were like, yeah, it's the twelve birds, and I was, like, oh, it's some kind of monthly calendar, and they were like, the apostles, and I was like, oh yeah, religion, that's a thing, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's fun. <laughs> Like my my B. Uh, learn. <laughs> speaking of religion, I forgot when I was back home, I got to experience my first Shabbat and I got to go to temple and I got to do a Jewish holiday, Shabbat. And I got to shove so much holla in my face hole. It was incredible. That's awesome. It was. It was so cool. It was so cool. Okay, weird transitions to my stories. Weird. (laughs) Hey, at least you acknowledge it. It's fine. Just like look the weird transition in the eye and then just like power through it. Just like tackle it. Yeah. And a lot happened this month. You know, one big thing, Anne Boleyn was executed. And Mm -hmm. I did guest on Fatal Fortunes podcast and I talked about some of the misconceptions and myths after her death that she was like deformed and a witch and blah 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 so you can go check that out and then also the first mother's day and you know memorial day a bunch of stuff and a bunch of like really dark you know lots of death lots of world war ii things happen in may and i just uh, you know sometimes when you have anxiety you don't want to cover more death so anyway the loch ness monster (laughs) Was cited for the very first time. I love this. <laughs> I am so excited. Me and Nessie, we're like. <sighs> so this will be a little different. So I'm going to talk about the history. And then there's also something that just recently happened. So it'll be a little bit of both. I'm going to cheat and do both. So okay. on May 2nd, 
was the first time that Nessie was reported in a newspaper. She was actually cited in April of 1933. The modern legend of the Loch Ness Monster is born when a sighting makes local news on May 2nd, 1933. The newspaper Everness Courtier. Ooh, that's the thing from Outlander where they're at Everness. Oh, okay. That's where the stones are. Yeah. Huh. I need to watch Outlander. I'm so sorry. It's on Netflix and you should watch it. Watch it alone. (laughs) It gets spicy. (laughs) Anywho, the courier relates an account of a local couple who claimed to have seen a, quote, enormous animal rolling and plunging on the surface, end quote. The story of the monster, a moniker chosen by the courier. Oh, my God. I can't talk either. Editor. Becomes a media phenomenon with London newspapers sending correspondents to Scotland and a circus offering 20,000 pounds sterling reward for the capture of the beast. That's a lot for that time. That really is. That really is. Oh, where's my thing? Conversion. How dare I not have my conversion calculator up? I had so many things rush through my mind when you said, where's my thing? (laughs) calculate oh my god okay so now i gotta make it into u.s dollars there is too much math going on right now too many numbers two usd okay oh my god two million dollars that's a lot that's a lot that's a lot of chatter yeah two million eighty three thousand eight hundred and twenty two dollars and fifty cents to be exact listen for that much money i will swim in the lock and i will find nessie right me too we we could split that's enough money to spend a million each we got this (laughs) to pay off my student loans oh yes god damn it So after the April 1933 sighting was reported in the newspaper on May 2nd, interest steadily grew, especially after another couple claimed to have seen the animal on land. Ooh, she walks now. Amateur investigators have for decades kept an almost constant vigil. And in the 1960s, several British universities launched sonar expeditions to the lake. Nothing conclusive was found, but in each expedition, a sonar operator detected some type of large moving underwater object. She's a big bitch. She is a big bitch. In 1975, another expedition combined sonar and underwater photography in Loch Ness. The photo resulted that, after enhancement, appeared to show what vaguely resembled a giant flipper of an aquatic animal. And where'd my voice go? <laughs> I know. I mean, I just got over, I'm getting over bronchitis, but yeah. Further sonar expeditions in the 1980s and 90s resulted in more inconclusive readings. Revelations in 1994 that the famous 1934 photo was a complete hoax has only slightly dampened the enthusiasm of tourists and investigators for the legendary beast of Loch Ness. Yeah, like, I know the dude said it wasn't real, but I still believe it. (laughs) Yeah, obviously. Sometimes with a legend as great as Nessie, you just have to believe even when all the facts tell you not to. (laughs) Exactly. If someone with an epic accent tells you that there is a sea creature living in that lake, you have to believe it. You do. You do. Okay. Now it's going to get weird. Let's get weird. I have three different things I'm going to be reading from. (laughs) Nice. 
and one has visuals. So shameless plug, join Patreon. (laughs) Oh, RIP my search history. Okay. (laughs) Okay. 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 Keep it together, Keenan. Oh, oh God. Has anybody figured out (laughs) why I'm giggling yet? Are you bringing up Chuck Tingle? No, but I should have. This is from the Sun, the Scottish Sun. Totally reliable source, but hear me out. Okay. <laughs> okay, what are boffins? I needed to Google that first. Do you know what a boffin is? I do not. Anybody know Spanish things? Oh, here we go. Uh, oh, it's Spanish. You're not Spanish, Scottish. God damn it, Kina. Oh, okay. So a boffin <laughs> is a person engaged in scientific or technical research. All right. There we go. Yeah. We just learned something. We learning, we learning. Boffins are investigating whether the large mysterious sea creature, the Loch Ness Monster, is actually a whale penis. Well, pal! <laughs> oh! Oh! She, she's girthy. Okay. Okay. Oh, oh yes. Oh, yes. Experts believe that the long neck <laughs> or Ooh. tail of mythical creatures like the Loch Ness may actually be Willie sticking out of the water. Free Willie, indeed. Dozens of explanations have been made for the supposed sightings of the sea serpents like the Loch Ness in Scotland. A study by a team of researchers published in a paper of the Archives of Natural History claimed that Nessie's neck is actually a whale penis. I can't stop looking at it, but to be fair, it looked at me first. (laughs) The study speculated that many accounts of large, mysterious sea creatures with serpent-like tails are actually large whale snake-like penises, which I would buy. Honestly, like a lot of the old-timey sea serpent kraken things, I would bet money that those are whale penises. Yes. Nessie, they're... I I don't buy it, and I will tell you why. They added that other accounts could be attributed to the male members of certain whale species, which can be at least 1.8 meters long. What is that in American? Don't look at me. Oh, 5.9 feet. I thought it would be bigger, honestly. I'm not judging. So Nessie's a (laughs) shower, not a shower? And sometimes they're spotted rising from the water during mating. The theory focused on the famous black and white photo of Nessie reportedly taken by Surgeon Robert Kenneth Wilson in the 1930s that we just talked about. And the image is then compared with another photo taking of a similar shaped whale penis rising from the water, which Patreon is looking at right now. You're welcome. You're welcome. The bizarre theory has prompted the fact-checking website Snopes to investigate to clear things up. And that will be my next article come at me snopes okay good old snopes we're bouncing we're bouncing is the loch ness monster just a whale penis (laughs) snopes (laughs) this rumor is more plausible than it might appear and this is from dan evan which i hope this is the pride and joy of his resume of writing oh i would put the top oh absolutely Absolutely. So the claim, a famous photograph of Loch Ness Monster was actually a whale penis. And the rating is mostly false. 
So context, the most famous photo of the Loch Ness Monster dubbed the surgeon's photograph because the dude was a surgeon was created with a toy boat and some putty. It's possible that other sea serpent sightings throughout history, however, might actually be whale penises. A number of explanations have been offered to explain this series of supposed sightings of the sea serpent Loch Ness, which is a large, deep, freshwater lake in the Scottish Highlands that I desperately need to see in my lifetime. Some have hypothesized that the Loch Ness Monster, known as Nessie, was really just a giant eel or possibly an odd-shaped log. Others held that Nessie was a prehistoric plesiosaur that somehow survived extinction. I think that was the first thing I learned, and I like that. Yeah, that's my favorite theory because I like dinosaurs. So Right? Who doesn't love dinosaurs? And I know when I was a kid, they're like, oh, there's all those crevices and caves down there. And like, of course she could hide when we're looking for her because she's smart. Yes. And in April of 2021, another theory was popularized on the internet that (laughs) this monster was a whale penis that we just talked about. Yes. Well, the picture on the left, or right for you, is the most famous one that shows the Loch Ness Monster. And the one on the left is a actual whale penis. We can say with confidence that the objects are not the same. The picture supposedly showing the Loch Ness Monster is widely known as a surgeon's photograph. While several other sightings followed the surgeon's photographs, the picture was revealed to be a hoax in 1990s when Christian Sperling, one of the men involved in this hoax, confessed shortly before his death. So on his deathbed, he's like, we, we made that up. So he reportedly was a skilled model maker and he teamed up with Wilson and their friend Marmaduke Weatherall. Weatherall? Weatherall. What a name. People are actually named Marmaduke. Marmaduke Weatherall? Weatherall. Yeah, like Weather L. Weather L. Marmaduke Weatherall. What a name. Anywho, they decided to create a hoax picture of a sea serpent using a toy submarine and then an 18-inch clay model. And then there's a whole newspapers.com. You can actually read the whole thing. It's pretty cool if you ever get a chance. So in other words, the Loch Ness Monster isn't a whale penis because the Loch Ness Monster was a toy submarine all along. But you said that there was like newer stuff. That's true. People have seen things in there. I mean, even recently when I was Googling this, somebody had a video of something really big moving through the lock this year. So just that particular, the picture we're looking at, the one everybody knows when you think of Nessie, that one was staged. But I mean, they never said that they weren't inspired by something. So what if they had heard that somebody saw that and then they modeled this model after that, you know? So just in this, the Snopes article does talk about all the serpents that were spotted in -hmm. all the drawings and mentions that researchers are very confident that anything that are in these kind of drawings are absolutely whale dicks. So I love that. Yeah, me too. I love that for them. What a fun research project, you know? Yeah, for real. Yeah, so anytime you see a Kraken, it's probably a dick. <laughs> oh, it made me laugh, but I still believe in Nessie. That's I totally believe in Nessie just because I want to. I also believe in the Falk monster and Yetis, but not necessarily Bigfoot. Speaking of Bigfoot, so my favorite TikTok witch talk person who does like readings, she's been doing a whole series on conspiracy tarot. 
Ooh. People have been asking her to do conspiracy questions and she's been asking her tarot deck and it's been really fascinating. I need to send you one of those videos too. But somebody asked if Bigfoot was real and she was like, I know he's real, but her deck said no. And she was like, okay. And she did a few more pulls and she was like, okay, so Bigfoot isn't real, but Yetis are real. Oh. So I was like, okay, so maybe I don't believe in Bigfoot, but like I do believe in Yetis now. So (laughs) it's a slippery slope, guys. I've been in some dark places on TikTok. TikTok can take you to some wild places really fast and unexpectedly. It really can. Speaking of dark places, are we ready to read stories from the listeners? Yes. What? What was that? That was an amazing segue. It was. Yeah. And the crowd goes wild. And the crowd goes wild. Okay. I will go first. Okay. And I'm going to pick Megan. She says, hey, my name is Megan. Hi, Megan. Uh, I just want to say thank you for doing this podcast. You have helped me through some hard days. I know Kina is kind of amazing. So but you have helped me keep my mind from going to uh, the bad places. You have helped with my mental health. Thank you so much. I've listened to almost every episode two times now. Wow. That's some dedication. I haven't even finished listening. I am so sorry. So sorry. I only live five minutes from work, so I can't listen to them to and from work. I'm catching up. Anyway, I like telling my boss at work fun facts, and most of them are from your podcast. He gets kick out of them. That is hilarious, and I love that. I love that, too. I got a few fun facts about my small hometown. One, our library has moved two different times to my town of about 1,250 had a chicken fiasco that almost got our chief of police fired. What? <laughs> chicken fiasco? I, why do I have a related story to this? Anyway, um, <laughs> I can send the whole story later if you want. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> um, no question. Three, my family is part of the history of my hometown of Atwater, Minnesota. My family owned a small grocery store for 42 years. My dad owned it for the last 16 years. And my grandparents, my dad's parents owned it for the first 26 years. I grew up in that big old red brick building. It was my big playhouse. I worked there all my teen years from 14 to 18. The building is on our main street of old buildings. It's one of the first buildings to be built in Atwater. And there are old pictures that the roads are still just dirt and wooden poles to hook your horses up to. I will try to find a picture of it. Every time you say to the Google machine, it's awesome to me because my big fluff ball of a dog, her name is Google. And then she said, I love your podcast and hope to hear back. The picture is of my baby Google. So she threw in a picture of her dog. I have a picture of Google. Can we go back to the library moving two different times and the town of 1250 having a chicken fiasco that got almost got the chief of police fired? Yeah. I there's so much more information that I need. Like, like I jumped all the way over the shark. (laughs) All the way. Okay. But like my kind of related story. So the library that my husband and I, met at their original big library building 
the ceiling collapsed in it because of all the bat guano on the roof. <gasps> oh, no. Man, dude, they had to move to a new building. Oh, no. Praise be to the archives. I thought that was actually a rumor until I was archiving all of the old meeting minutes and I stumbled upon the actual write-ups of when the ceiling collapsed and all of the cleanup bills and stuff like that. Oh, wow. So Megan, send us more. We need more. Send me all of that and more. And also Megan just joined Patreon. So welcome to the family. Yes. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Yeah. And I just showed everybody a picture of your puppy. Oh, those eyeballs are so big. What is with my accent today? Shit. It's oh, okay. oh. <laughs> we're all fine here. <laughs> near, 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 near. The hills are alive in my stupid accent. All right. So it says, hi, y'all. I'm just going to go with it here with the accent. <laughs> to Emma Hillbilly from the Ozarks. The Missouri Woo-hoo! side, though. So don't hold that against me. Of course not. I was always on the Missouri side. You guys got Branson. <laughs> For real. It says, listen, the call of the Buffalo River is too hard to resist, which is true. It's very true. Really real. Yes. It's one of the best places I've ever been floating. Highly recommend. 10 out of 10. I've spent my fair share of summers floating floating in Arkansas and exploring some of the small towns around there. One town in particular always freaked my shit out and I can't explain why. I wonder which one. I know. I was like, is it going to be in Norfolk? Uh, until now, it has been a running joke with my friends that I have this irrational beef for the town of Cotter. I honestly, know Cotter. Honestly, Cotter earned it. I can already <laughs> tell you, Cotter earned it. That bridge just freaks my shit out, and I have no, no idea why. Everyone mm-hmm. used to joke that I must have had some wild past life there. Then this week, my bestie saw an article on Facebook, and that shit is haunted. I knew it. I feel oddly validated and kind of psychic. <laughs> I'm on your side. I just said I had to share this with my favorite podcast, Love, Kate. Thank you, Kate. Yes. I didn't yes. know it was haunted. That's wild. You can literally so. look at it and be like, oh, she haunted. Well, it's fun because every family reunion was underneath that bridge. (laughs) Spent a lot of time there. My family is very uh, deep into the history of Cotter flipping in Yellville. It's all connected down there. It's big old hillbilly family tree. Anyway, says one of the most haunted bridges in Arkansas. Cotter Bridge has been around since 1930. Another 1930 thing. Oh, what are the chances? There's nothing. Cotter Bridge and Loch Ness Monster. Right? There's nothing like a good old-fashioned boomtown to bring to my stories of ghost inspectors. The town of Cotter may not be the largest town in North Arkansas anymore, but it is home to some amazing trout fishing. <laughs> True. Oh, this yeah. is only in your state.com, too. So they'll be fluffing Arkansas. All right. Oh, yeah, no, they are big fluffers. <laughs> it says the natural beauty will take your breath away. They're working hard for that <laughs> Oh, I didn't even know the name of this. The R.M. Ruthven Rainbow Arch Bridge. That's a mouthful. It is. It was built in 1930 and renovated in 2004. And a wonderful architectural marvel, but has some tales to indicate that it may be hiding some sinister happenings under its lovely trusses. (laughs) Okay. 
All right, all right. The Cotter Bridge is a man-made wonder with a delightful history that begins in 1930 when it opened up more of the Ozarks to motorists. It sits grandly near the sleepy little community that boasts a population of over 900 and famously stretches the span of the White River, a world-renowned destination for, again, trout fishing. Take a shot every time I say trout. All right. Oh, God. The story of the Cotter Bridge on the sur- uh, nope, that's the story of the Cotter Bridge on the surface, and that would make a lovely article all on its own because of the trout fishing. <laughs> but we're here today to talk about the legends of Cotter Bridge, the myths and the scary stories that swirl around its pillars like the White River itself. I this love is- that. I'm I'm overjoyed by this. <laughs> If you visit the bridge at night, for example, you might just find yourself hearing the sounds of children at play. Children at play at night on a bridge? Question mark. Well, actually, the children have been spotted playing on the railroad bridge near the Cotter Bridge at night. That's There's a lot of bridges. <laughs> the truth is, we don't have any evidence to prove those children are ghosts, but we don't have any proof that they're not ghosts. <laughs> so let's just meet in the middle and call them ghosts. <laughs> Personally, this writer has enough faith in good people of Cotter that I'd like to believe that they'd never send living children out on the railroad tracks, <laughs> on a railroad bridge, no less, near a large river in a dark one alone, with only our palpable fear of our creepy, small, disembodied voices to supervise them. Bless their hearts. I know. this is They're so trusting. It's just so hard. <laughs> Have they ever been to small town Arkansas? No. Parents let us do whatever the fuck we want. <laughs> Parents literally let us do whatever we want. Absolutely. For generations. Don't come back till the sun's gone. Yeah. And even then, they might send you back out. I don't know anybody growing up that didn't play on train tracks. I don't know how any of us survived, honestly. It was Mm-mm. it was nope. a lot. Yep. 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 The other common tale about the Cotter Bridge rears its spectral head more often, and it's a good deal more terrifying, too. This writing is killing me. While there might not be anything particularly dark about ghost children minding their own business, this tale involves folks seeing an apparition of a woman being chased by hounds. Hounds. (laughs) No one knows who the woman of Cotter Bridge is, but it's hard to imagine her story as anything but sheer horror and suffering. (laughs) We know nothing about her, but we're going to say it's horrifying. No one knows why the woman's ghost is on the run, but between her screams and the bang of her ghastly hounds close on her heels, there hasn't been a lot of opportunities to ask her. Yikes. The Carter Bridge is a lovely architectural marvel, which you've already said, with a rich history, a lot of scenic beauty, and a lot of great fishing. Okay. Oh, <laughs> We know all of that for sure. Whether or not it's also a chilling sight of ghastly apparitions cannot be confirmed. But again, those kids playing on the tracks are probably phantoms, right? Or should we call someone? You should call someone and then they (laughs) will not care. To hear more amazing ghost stories set around the natural state, check out this article. Oh, man, these crack me up. Who's the author of that article? I have three guesses. Uh, Oh, 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 J.B. Van Dyke. Okay, yeah, that was one of my three guesses. Yes, okay. Does it have a biography? Ooh, oh, they write a lot. Okay. 
they're they're like one of the most popular writers for that oh site. yeah they write yeah. a lot I freelance for that site once and then i read what was on there and i was like no <laughs> hard pass <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah i've never heard of this ghosty thing before but i'm also not from cotter cotter was my nemesis one of them in high school mm-hmm. uh, well i call dibs on nick's story because as much. nick amuses me <laughs> i'm not just saying that because he's watching right now <laughs> he's a good writer right he is. always takes you on a journey he and i have the same sense of humor so that's true because i am also a 12 year old boy okay <laughs> listening to inventions part three when the wardrobe malfunction question came out i was driving down highway 75 laughing my ass off because i know how this was solved all courtiers knew of private alcoves to either seek a dalliance in or to, you know, stuff the girls back in. Ah. The décolletage at certain times actually included a gauzy fabric that exposed the nipples, which were rouged or painted to draw attention. I mean, you, can you imagine saying, Jeeves, fetch my nipple paint. I wish to display them for society. <laughs> I don't know what that accent was, but that's what I went with. I it's incredible. I stand by it. Also, side note, I actually am really fascinated by that part of the wardrobe of that era mm-hmm. and the whole like rouging, because especially with puritanical culture, it's mm-hmm. like, you know, nothing below the neck and da da da. And then it was just like these women with this gauze fabric and just like tits out and it's not only tits out, but it's like, look at my nipples. So. Yeah. Yeah. And if you guys haven't listened to the episode, we were talking about, it was the fashion where the dress cut right to the nipple, but it squished it so hard. So our question was, if one popped out, do you, how do you shove it back in? Cause you're being choked, like squished it up by your corset too. Like how do you just ram it back in there? That was our question. That's a valid question. I would honestly just leave it out as an assumption <laughs> of dominance. And What's like, that meme where it's all it. like calm your tits and then it's like, no, like, yeah. Like, yes, leave one out as your body. Yes. Yeah, and they can just flop in the wind like a sock. Yeah, my neighbor actually told me that today to calm one tit, but leave one for the party titty. <laughs> um, anyway, so back to next story. Anyhow. Not to get off point, Teehee. <laughs> you know us so well. <laughs> I'm so sorry. But should it become unseemly that an unintended breast break free from a corset, one would open a paper fan to cover the area and oh. slip like the nip off to a private alcove to repair oneself. This was generally accomplished with the help of a maid or lady-in-waiting Using a cream or handy oil, one slicked the blasphemous boob and then raising the arm over the head and inhaling deeply left just enough room to slide the temperamental teat back into its fabric prison. Often, this meant stuffing or cupping and sliding in a C-shape or reverse C-shape under outside top. Once the sweater puppies are settled and you have convinced the Marquis de Poupou that he may not suck your toes... You returned to the fete as though nothing happened. It was considered highly improper to, one, display more captivating cleavage than the hostess or highest ranking woman there, and two, to brashly point out, ah, Le Comtis has her tits out again. 
how you might ask, does a 20th century man know about 17th century boobage? Honestly, I wasn't going to question it. Because <laughs> you like, know a lot. I mean, you do. Mm-hmm. But like, this is a whole podcast about knowing random shit. So like, I wasn't, I wasn't going to ask. But anyway, reenactors, research, and enough large bosomed friends sporting corsets at Renaissance fairs okay. that I may have been conscripted to halt a breast escape from time to time. How... How lucky are you as a gentleman to be requested to help just position a boob back? Like that is such trust. I'm so proud. That is. That is a lot of trust. That says a lot about your character. It really does. I am so proud of you. Mm -hmm. So I am, after all, a consummate gentleman. You are right. Yeah. Right there. I need to just read the next sentence before I react. Anyway. Assisting the lady folk in a proper manner or professional manner was required. Costumes be tricky, lol. Some events went on for so long and costumes were so elaborate in Marie Antoinette's court that it was not uncommon to signal a page or servant to bring a chamber pot, position oneself over it, and go. French be nasty for a reason. Anyhow, hope this clears up how you wrangle those dastardly dough balls back into a corset once they have decided to make for freedom. Follow me for more useless historical facts. Cheers, Nick. I love it. Thank you, Nick. I actually knew about the chamber pot thing because even living history reenactors will do that too. You just squeeze the chamber pot with your thighs and pee. (laughs) There's no way to get all that shit up. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I know it's like a faux pas to have better decolletat than the host. But, like, if my shit pops out, it pops out. I can't control them. (laughs) They be cursed by the devil. Yeah. So, honestly, like, Karen should have brought her A game. It's true. It's true. That's on her. I brought my D game. (laughs) (laughs) So, the last letter comes from Allison in Australia. Mm. Allison, the best Australian Allison. I know. She is part of our Patreon family and just incredible human. She sees things in the wild that I have only dreamed of seeing. Like she saw a platypus in the wild. And I guess my dumbass hillbilly brain has never thought that people actually see those in the wild. (laughs) Listen, I was shocked when I saw an otter in the wild in Conway. So like I would plot if I saw Yeah. If I saw I've seen a beaver in the wild because you know yeah rum, you know, yeah. they're just scuttling around building shit. But yeah, and then she took a picture of a dingo on a beach, a kangaroo in a creek. You need you need to look at the photos in the Discord group. They're incredible. Oh but, yeah, the Discord group. That uh, that exists. <laughs> yeah, she posted Ooh. a bunch of pictures. She went on like this weekend getaway thing and just the photos are things that I can't even comprehend as being somebody's real reality. It's so cool. So hopefully I don't butcher everything you say. Is it is it Brisbane or Brisbane? I thought it was Brisbane. Brisbane? Okay. Just making sure. (laughs) I don't know. If we're wrong, it's Kina's fault. It is my fault. I don't think I've ever said that word out loud. I read it in my head. Like, I've sent her stuff in the mail, and I wrote it, but I don't know how to say it. 
Anywho, focus, Keita. So this is the story of the infamous Patrick Maine. I think it's Maine, who lived in my home city, Brisbane, in the 19th century, and his dastardly deeds. Ah, I love alliteration. Okay. I hope you all enjoy the story. It has history, murder, curses, and ghosts. So I figure Ooh. it's got all the ingredients for a winner. <laughs> it yeah, does. it does. Right. Our story begins with an Irish immigrant by the name of Patrick Maine. He came from a very poor family and immigrated originally to Sydney in 1841, but by 1846 had made his way to Brisbane and was working as a slaughterman in the Brisbane suburb of Kangaroo Point, <laughs> which is situated by Brisbane River. I love that. Okay. <laughs> you live by a place called Kangaroo Point? I'm so jealous. <laughs> oh. So he was a large, imposing man and was very well known amongst the locals for having a very quick temper, being prone to violence, and liking to drink in excess. His usual pub of choice, the Bush Inn, was well known for being pretty rough and filled with dodgy characters. I need to say dodgy more. Right? Like, that really needs to be in my vernacular. I know. We need to say that more in the U.S. It's fun. I like it. On the night of 26th March, 1848, a man called Robert Cox visited the Bush Inn and got extremely drunk and boastful. He had only arrived in Brisbane three days prior, so perhaps was not aware of the Bush Inn's reputation. Or maybe he was just drunk and stupid because Cox spent most of the evening bragging about how much money he had recently earned from cutting and selling cedar wood. That's not a good thing to do ever. It was reported he claimed about 350 pounds, which would be very loosely translated to about $30,000 in the U.S. So thank you for that. She knows we yes, don't know shit about that. also, fuck U.S. currency. Anyway. <laughs> On this night, Maine was amongst the patrons of the pub, all of which no doubt heard Cox's claims. You're also a really good writer, by the way. The next morning, unsurprisingly, around 6 a.m., the butchered body of Robert Cox was discovered. The scene surprising was, no one. Surprising no one. The scene was pretty brutal with parts of the victim scattered across the suburb, including his fingers in the gutter, his entrails thrown down a drinking well, and his severed head placed between two jousts at a nearby construction site, Seemingly watching the whole proceedings. Yeah. That's that's excessive. That is excessive. Just stab the dude and go. If you're just murdering for the money, that seems like a lot of extra work. It sounds like a lover's tryst. It does. It seems too personal. Isn't that what they always say? It's personal. Or you're just a psychopath. Crime of passion. Yeah. I learned about that in the book I'm reading that a lot of people always assumed that things like this was a crime of passion. But it also could just be that you're a fucking psychopath that gets off on torturing and doing way more than you need to kill somebody. So Also true. Yeah. yeah. Anywho, many of the locals gathered to watch the macabre scene, but it was noted at the time that Patrick Maine was absent. Ooh, sus. It was assumed by the police that the murderer must have been a butcher or similar trade due to the precision with which the body had been cut up. That thought always freaks me. I, like, I, <laughs> Never I don't, trust a butcher. <laughs> don't think of butchers in that way until yeah. they're like, he could have been a butcher because of the precision. And I'm like, oh, he has that knowledge. It's true. Yeah, because like Jack the Ripper, some people yeah. are like surgeon or a butcher. It's all the same. <laughs> 
However, Robert Maine was never seriously considered as a suspect. Eventually, a man named William Fief, Fife, Fofum, was accused of the murder of Robert Cox. Fief Fife was the cook at the Bush Inn, so privy to all the gossip circulating. Also, Cox had been lodging with him since he arrived in Brisbane three days prior to his murder. Fife or Fief adamantly denied he was guilty of the murder up until he was hanged on the 4th of July, 1848, and the money was never recovered. Following the murder, Maine moved away from Brisbane for a while. He returned nine months later, married to another Irish immigrant, Mary McIntosh, in 1849, and a few months later bought a butcher shop in Brisbane City at the cost of approximately five to six years butcher's wages. Where'd that money come from? Which is around one pound per week. Gossip soon began to circulate as to where the money came from to pay for this shop. The Mains had six children, five who survived to be adults. That's pretty good for that time. That is. That's actually a really high margin. I would imagine that he probably had the money to feed and take care of them. That would be another thing. Oh, yeah. Because he, like, murdered a guy. I forgot what we were talking about. Sorry. I got distracted. Yes. Over the coming years, Maine's butcher shop became very profitable, and he branched out his investments to rental properties, buying large amounts of land, and even money lending, and the rumors continued to circulate. Patrick Maine died on the 8th of August, 1845, surrounded by his family, the family doctor, and it would be safe to assume a number of servants. It is said that mere days before he died, he confessed to the murder of Robert Cox and that he stole the money. He claimed that an innocent man had been hanged for the crime. Within a few days, the gossip had spread all over Brisbane. It is unlikely the family would have told anyone about the deathbed confession, so it was presumably passed on by one of the servants or the family doctor. Soon, rumors became embellished, and behind their backs, the family became known as the Bloody Manes. Ooh. Some stories that were widely believed were that horses refused to pull his hearse at the time without being beaten, or that the horses refused to pull the hearse through the cemetery gates. This was very significant to the Irish community as there were strong beliefs in Irish folklore that the horses would refuse to pull a hearse. That's creepy. That's very creepy. I wish I had a cool, like, nickname for our family. I know. My family is very super boring. We're just, like, super poor and nothing happened. And so, under the stress of public opinion, began the legend that the main empire was built in blood and that the family was cursed. You cursed! You cursed! Parents would tell their children not to look at their house as they walked past and they would become shunned by society. That's kind of sad. I mean... I mean, the kids, they didn't know. Yeah, but, like, he could have just not killed anyone. That's true. The kids probably wouldn't even be there if he had to kill anybody because he got that wife with that money. True. But, like, I mean, he could have just, like, not butchered the dude. He could have just stabbed him and took the money. That's true. It was very excessive. Yeah. It was very brutal. He it's was hard to like, feel sorry for him. Your bacon on this thing. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's difficult to feel sorry for anybody when yeah. they do something this horrible. Uh-uh-uh. It is said that the children of the family swore a curse to never marry or have children for fear of passing on the curse. That's sad. That's sad. They became known as the Mad Mains, and no matter how many good deeds or charitable acts the family made, it would never stop the gossip. I mean, at That's least they tried bad. to give back to the community to be like, I swear we didn't do this. 
That's the first really of the children to fall prey to the alleged curse was the eldest child, Rosanna. It's said that she went into some sort of religious fervor, constantly praying of the soul of her dead father. She eventually suffered a nervous breakdown and was sent to live at the All Hallows Convent in Brisbane. As hmm. the years went on, the convent reported that Rosanna's mental state declined to the point that she was often restrained. She was pretty much never heard from again. Convent records stated that in Rosanna's life, her mental state deteriorated to the point that she asked the main family to take her back under their care, but this request was denied. Oh, Aww. my God. The second eldest child, Isaac, was known to have much of his father's temperament. He had lots of pent-up aggression. Oh, yeah, I forgot he had an anger problem. And yeah. was quick to anger. Isaac was slowly slipped into insanity like his elder sister and was admitted to the Bayview Asylum in Sydney. He eventually completed suicide by hanging himself at the age of 53. Yikes. God, that's so tragic. This soon became public knowledge as it was reported in newspapers. The Sydney Morning Herald even went as far to compare his cunning actions, and that's in quotes, to his father as he was under almost constant supervision. This, of course, revived all the gossip that had plagued the main siblings since their father's death. Apart from the constant gossip, along with a number of books and articles over the years discussing the murder of Robert Cox, while tactfully never actually mentioning Patrick Maine as the murderer. The middle child, William, seems to have escaped the mental health problems that plagued his elder siblings. He was quite reclusive, though, and never showed any interest in socializing outside the house. (laughs) I can relate to that. (laughs) Also, despite being the elder sibling, he left his younger brother, James, to deal with the family finances. William died in 1921, has not been seen outside the house. Oh, and has not. uh, uh, Okay, so William died, and then the younger brother had not been seen outside the house for years. I got, I confused myself. It would appear that the next sibling, Mary Amelia, also suffered from mental health problems. She had always been described by her brothers as flighty, in quotes, and was even sent to All Hallows Convent, the same convent as her sister Rosanna, at the age of 14, until 19 in an attempt to curb her rebellious nature. She huh. returned with a much more subdued disposition, but this did not last. By the time she reached her 30s, it was common practice for her to get locked in her bedroom, and her bedroom windows were boarded up. Jesus Christ. Tragic. All of them are straight up not having a good time. Mm -mm. The youngest sibling, James, trained as a doctor and at this point was extremely wealthy due to all the family business and investment passing to him alongside the inheritance from all his siblings. Holy shit, that must suck too. Yeah. As far back as 1899, he had been generous with his money when he refused his salary from the hospital to finance their first x-ray machine. However, as he got older, his generosity increased. He donated 693 acres of farmland and donated 80,000 pounds to the University of Queensland. Damn. That's nice. I cannot even do the math to figure out how much that would convert to today. (laughs) That's okay. okay. (laughs) That's, That's totally fine. He also built a high shopping arcade named the Brisbane Arcade, but at a very strange location. He built it on the land when the Maines used to live where Patrick Maine had his deathbed murder confession. That's haunted. Oh, absolutely. Despite all these good works, James could never erase the Bloody Mains legend and seemed to get little thanks for his charity. For example, he was painted as an acad... Oh, my God. Okay. Kina. (laughs) You can read. Okay. For example, he was painted in academic robes to be hung at the university, but they either did not display it all, or when they did, it was hung out of the way untitled. Mm -hmm. Also, the main name doesn't appear on the cornerstone of the new university buildings, even though he gave them all the money. That sucks. 
James died in 1937, leaving Mary, who was now suffering severe dementia, and died in 1940. They left all their substantial fortune to the Queensland University and medical school, even though they didn't even let their name be on anything. That's kind of shady. That is kind of fucked up. I mean, I guess, like... Um, like they didn't do it. See, that's the thing. It's like you can't blame children for the misdeeds of their parents. Exactly. They were born into that. They didn't have anything to do with it. Yeah. Okay. Now for some ghost stories. The main family monument is located in oh Tuong Cemetery in Brisbane. Mm-hmm. I have attached a picture that I took myself, so no copyright issues. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I appreciate. That okay, pulling it up right. Oh, oh, that's gorgeous. That is beautiful. Oh, that's so pretty. Okay, uh, where's my bed? Legend has it that a thick red liquid can be seen oozing from the vents at the bottom of the monument. Kay. Okay, that is very white. It's a very, very white monument. Like, yeah. that would be. Startling to see red coming up. <laughs> Lord, local ghost tour guides would have you believe that this is the blood on the hands of the main family pouring from the monument. Skeptics, however, claim that since the cemetery is on a hill, when it rains, water passes through the iron ore in the ground, resulting in red color. So, science! <laughs> Take that. As I said previously, Brisbane Arcade was built on the side of the main's house where he admitted to the murder. The arcade is still in use and home to high-end shops and nice cafes. However, shopkeepers and security guards often claim to see a woman dressed in black when no one else is there. Sometimes they see her reflection in the windows and there is a bridge overlooking the arcade where she's often sighted. The theory goes that this is a ghost of Mary Maine, Patrick's wife, who cannot rest due to the guilt of her husband's crimes. Ooh. Anyway, hope you enjoyed a little bit of Brisbane history. That was incredible and so thoughtfully researched. Yes, but also devastating. Haunting. Yes, hauntingly awful. Yes. Okay, also Googling what an arcade in Australia means. Because I don't think it's the same thing as here. Oh. An arcade here is like games. Yes. But it said shops and stuff. So is that like the same thing as a mall? Oh, is it like a shopping mall? Oh, hold on. Right. Oh, it was an incredible story, Allison. Thank you so much. Yes, it was. Thank you so much. It it's wonderful. So well researched and uh, really eerie and gorgeous photo. I can't believe this is your life. <laughs> you get to just see things like that. That's incredible. Man, well, thank you, everybody, for sending in your stories. Oh, I love them so much. You guys yes. are so amazing. And you guys are really good writers. I don't I don't know if you appreciate yourself enough. Pat we yourself on the back. Yes, because you guys really weave a tale. Keeps us on our edge of our seats. So I good. love it. I do, too. And if you guys want to send in a story for next month, please do. We're running a little low. Uh, that's historicalafpod at gmail.com. Or you can just DM me on social media on the podcast stuff. That's historicalafpod across the board. Just Woo-hoo. however you can get it to me, get it to me, and we will read it. Yeah. And if you have a like Etsy or podcast or any kind of side hustle, add that, too, and we'll, we'll shout you out. Hell, yes. I love shouting people out. 
If you'd like to watch this episode or any past episodes or future episodes live, join Patreon. That is patreon.com slash historical AF pod. And don't forget, really, really, really soon, we're going to have the first Zoom tea party and we're going to wear crowns and dress up or not and just hang out on Zoom and chat and drink tea or whatever and just have a good time. So if you want to join the Patreon fam, we'd love to have you. Also, right now, if you go and review the podcast on, say, Apple Podcast or Podchaser, send me a message showing which review is yours, and you're going to be entered to win a tote bag with the new quote, if you know, you know, with Rasputin's dick jar and a cat licking his butthole, just like all the amazing things this podcast has come to represent, you know? Again, thank you guys for listening. I also want to thank you guys for being so understanding. I know this came out late. I, full disclosure, applied for my dream job to be a director of a museum. And I have been working so hard on an online portfolio and a resume and a video resume. And so some of the pod stuff kind of got, got a little behind on. I'm just so glad that you guys understand. All right. I'll see you next month. Okay, bye.